salutations. Welcome everybody to episode 36 of the Next Day Takeaways here on Keyboard Kimura. I'm your host, E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. We are here today to discuss UFC Vegas 76, which took place last night at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get into the talking points themselves, we run through the results from Saturday. Main event, Sean Strickland defeats Abbas Magomedov. TKO in the second round, four minutes, 20 seconds in to pick up his second main event victory of 2023. Co-main event, Grant Dawson defeats Demir Ishmagulov by unanimous decision, 30-26 and 30-27 twice. Michael Morales remains undefeated with a unanimous decision win over Max Griffin, 29-28. The scores across the board there. Flyweight division, Arian Lipsky defeats Melissa Gatto by split decision, 28-29, 30-27, and then 29-28. In the lightweight division, Benoit Saint-Denis gets a first-round submission win over Ishmael Bonfim, rear naked choke victory at 448 of round one. And the main card opener, Nursultan Ruziboav, defeats Bruno Fajaya by KO, one minute, 17 seconds in, a beautiful right hand down the pipe. We will talk a little bit more about that later on, I am sure. On to the prelims, Renat Fakradinov closes out the prelims with a first round technical submission win over the returning Kevin Lee. Just 55 seconds into the first round, puts him to sleep with a guillotine choke. Joe Anderson Brito made quick work of Weston Wilson, a first round knockout win, two minutes and 54 seconds in. Carol Hosa lands on the happy side of a split decision verdict in a fight with Yana Santos, 29-28 across the board. 2-1 to one to the Brazilian. Alvis Brenner pulls a comeback victory against Guram Kutataladze. TKO at 317 of round three. The Brazilian picks up his second win of the year. Luana Carolina defeats Ivana Petrovic by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. And in the opener, Alexander Romanov defeats Blagoy Ivanov, 30-27 across the board to get back into the win column for the heavyweight from Moldova. Looking at this fight card as a whole, to me, this was a very entertaining, a very enjoyable fight card from start to finish. I saw, excuse me, during the broadcast, uh, my friend Aaron Braunstetter from TSN tweet out, and I quote, this card has delivered the goods. People can decide which cards, parenthetical, or really anything in life, are worthy of their time. But when it comes to live combat sports, there is always the risk of missing an unpredictable and entertaining card like this one. While I very much agree with the general idea of that, I also sort of feel like this one wasn't necessarily unpredictable. And I know this is going to sound like me taking a victory lap or patting myself on the back, Barry Horowitz style. And it's not necessarily that. It's it's more about these athletes and knowing these athletes or preparing and thinking about how these fights could play out. Because to me, looking at this card, I expected this to be what we got on Saturday. And that's not always the case. I feel like I, I can be pretty honest in my assessment of whether I think these events are going to be wildly entertaining or a bunch of decisions and kind of a, kind of a slog, kind of a grind there's certainly always the possibility that we read them wrong and we get a bunch of wildness or, you know, we get a night like last year's ultimate fighter finale where we get finishes 
through the card that really is, that's the unexpected, that's the unpredictable to me. Looking at this event and knowing the athletes on this, this card or researching some of the ones that maybe I didn't know all that well, it felt to me like top to bottom, we were in store for this kind of night. And really it wasn't, it's not like Saturday was a finish fest. We had some finishes, but we certainly had a bunch of decisions as well. I think we had a 50-50 split looking at it now. 12 fights, 6 finishes, 6 decisions. So it's not like it was this night full of chaotic action. But there was the possibility going in that that was going to be the case. You knew that the fight between Elvis Brenner and Goram Kutataladze was going to be a good fight. Even if it was, as I expected it to be, a one-sided kind of fight for Kutataladze, that was going to be entertaining. And Brenner came out and showed us that our forecasts of him or our projections of him need to be reassessed. Reassessed, excuse me. Joe Anderson Britu, you knew that was going to be dominant. The return of Kevin Lee against Renat Fakradinov, who is a very good fighter, and we will talk about him more momentarily, was always going to be good. The middleweight main card opener, guaranteed excitement. I told you on Wednesday that Benoit Saint-Denis and Ismail Bonfim was going to be violent, and it was. Michael Morales is an undefeated prospect who has finished everybody, and Max Griffin is a tough-as-nails veteran that has looked very good, especially of late. And then the co-main and the main were both already exciting fights, even if you weren't super familiar with some of those combatants. And so to me, this isn't knocking what Aaron said by any stretch, because I think, as I said, on the whole, he's correct. But I think we get ourselves into these cycles and into these positions where we just undersell everything. We go into all of these fights, fight cards, and because we're not inherently familiar with every single person on the card, we expect them to disappoint. And more often than not, they don't. And on top of that, if we take a little bit of time or come to Keyboard Kimura and subscribe to all of my content because I will tell you about this going in, we get these fights and we see that these are athletes that, while they may not be household names, are capable, qualified, dangerous, entertaining fighters. And that's what Saturday was to me. I said through the week that if things went as I expected, I would be here today talking my shit. Kind of, you know, taking a, taking a victory lap, quite frankly. And I'm not looking to take a victory lap because Abbas Magomedov got, got crushed in the main event, which kind of is going to fit everybody saying he didn't deserve to be there, although I don't think that's necessarily true. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this is one of those shows to me that was unnecessarily overlooked and unnecessarily maligned simply because people didn't take the time or have the ability or willingness to familiarize themselves with the men and women that made up this card. Last night's fight card, the July 1st fight card at the Apex, was not on paper or in execution the fight card that's coming up on July 15th. That card looks rough. That card is a struggle bus. I will be the first to admit it. There's not a lot of fighters coming off victories. There's not a lot of familiar names. There are some 
intriguing fighters making returns, and there's certainly some fights on that card that interest me, including the main event, as much as most, most people don't like Holly Holm main events. But that card is a lesser caliber, is a weaker caliber on paper than Saturday's fight card was. And I think, as I talk about regularly, both on on this show, on the, on the podcast itself, on Mondays, on everything really, because it's one of the things I harp on all the time, I think we need to get ourselves out of this rut of just expecting things to not be good and just equating a lack of familiarity with a lack of potential excitement and enjoyment because we're missing out. People are missing out on good fights, good cards, intriguing prospects, emerging talents that are going to be in the mix in their respective divisions simply because they're not familiar and some of the loudest voices in this sport are telling them not to bother or are telling them, hey, I'm not familiar either. I don't know who these people are, so it probably isn't going to be any good. Those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like not knowing people doesn't mean they can't deliver. A whole lot of folks didn't know Nursultan Ruziboav going into Saturday and that boy delivered. A lot of people not familiar probably with Joe Anderson Britu delivered. Elvis Brenner delivered. And then the final couple of fights all delivered. And the people that know prospects and unheralded fighters on the roster knew that Saturday had the potential to look the way it did. And I think it's high time, not just for myself, not selfishly, but for the betterment of this sport and for the greater enjoyment of this for more people. It's time for either the loudest voices in the, in the sport and the loudest voices in the space to start getting familiar or for people to start listening to a few more folks than just those loudest voices and those biggest shows on those biggest platforms. Because there's people out here telling you every week that you need to tune in and you need to pay attention to all these fighters that some of those folks don't seem to have time for. And if you didn't, you missed a really fun fight card on Saturday. As I mentioned off the top, Sean Strickland, second round TKO win in the main event. I do think it will be a moment for people to say, hey, look, Abbas Magomedov didn't deserve this push. And that's really interesting to me because it seems like we want to find every way possible to keep from giving Sean Strickland his due as a fighter. I get a hundred percent, probably better than, than many, quite frankly, because I've talked to Sean many, many times over the course of his career and my career. And it's hard. It's difficult putting together interview features on Sean Strickland is a difficult task because he's a dickhead. He says things to be provocative. He says things to cause ripple effects and waves and, and draw attention to himself, many of which are unprintable. And I fully understand people wanting no part of him outside of his profession and even allowing the way he is and the things he says 
to flavor the way they look at him or their willingness to support him as a competitor in the UFC makes total sense to me. But putting all of those things aside and looking at him simply as a competitor, free of all the idiocy, I can't sit here and say he's not a good fighter and say he's not a top 10 middleweight. He's a pretty damn good fighter. And we saw that Saturday. He took everything that Magomedov had to offer him in the first round, came out after that round and looked like a different fighter. Whether that's listening to the advice that he got in his corner from Eric Nixick and Chris Curtis, or if that's just cluing in and sort of turning the switch and, and turning it on, recognizing that Magomedov was tiring and was sort of ripe for the picking, whatever it was, Sean looked great in the second round. That's a guy that can be a force in this division. He's already a top 10 fighter and very much cemented, entrenched in that position because he's done a bunch of good things since returning a couple years ago now, almost three years ago now. Like as much as we want to, you know, knock the middleweight division and knock Sean Strickland himself, this is a guy that is now seven and two since returning. And the losses are to a former champion, Alex Pahea, and a former title challenger and current top five contender, Jared Cannonier, by split decision. Imagine if that split decision goes the other way. And there are a lot of people that feel it should have went the other way. That would be three straight main event wins for Sean Strickland and a seven in one record since returning to action after a two year layoff from an injury that nearly ended his career. As much as he is a dickhead, as much as he is polarizing and annoying and probably ultimately at the core of it, a miserable human being, he's a really good fighter. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to accept any of the, the badness, any, any of the stuff that is off-putting to us. I don't, I don't want to spend any time with Sean Strickland outside of my sitting and watching him compete. And that's, that's fully okay. And if your opinion and view of him extends beyond that, that you don't want to see him compete, that you don't think he deserves to compete, fine, you're entitled to that opinion. But as a competitor, he has done everything that we want from fighters as top 10 fighters. This was an opportunity. This was a low reward, high risk fight. And he went out there and knocked it out of the park. Very much like his fight against Nasruddin Imavov at the start of the year. Short notice turnaround, moves up a weight class, or they agree to fight up a weight class. And he goes out and puts it on Imavov and gets a good victory. Sean Strickland's 27 and five as a professional fighter. He's 32 years old. He lost two years because of that motorcycle accident. Again, as much as he is a complete dickhead for the things he does, the things he says, all of those pieces, he's a really good fighter. And I don't want folks to, to use Magomedov being in his second UFC appearance as a way to discredit what Sean Strickland did on Saturday night. This was a great performance from Sean Strickland. And for all of the warts that he carries, 
for all of the things that he says and does that none of us like, we have to give him his due there. Sticking with Strickland before we move forward, it's going to be really interesting to me to see who he gets matched up with next, how things sort of line up and shake out for him because he's in a very strange position. He's already lost to Jared Cannonier. He, to this point, has said he won't fight Marvin Vittori. They're very close. They train together. They spar together. Marvin has now moved to Las Vegas and is working with Dewey Cooper. So that bond is probably even strengthened further. Paulo Costa has a fight coming up at the end of the month in Salt Lake City. That's a potential interesting opponent. Or Ikram Alaskarov, should he defeat Paulo Costa? Obviously, Drikus Duplessis, and I'm just going down the rankings here on UFC.com. Drikus Duplessis, set to fight Rob Whitaker. Derek Brunson, we don't know what his future is. Roman Delize trains at Extreme Couture, as does Sean. He's already fought Jack Hermanson, which brings us to the guy that I teased on Saturday in my About Saturday's Action, that I think Sean Strickland should fight next, and that is Brendan Allen. Because for a good number of months, fights, years, however you want to qualify it, Brendan Allen was chasing that rematch. Brendan Allen wanted to run back their November 14, 2020 meeting that ended in a second round stoppage loss. It was, up until yesterday, the lone stoppage Sean Strickland had earned since returning to the UFC. And he took that fight on short notice. He went out, catchweight bout, put it on Brendan Allen, And for the longest time, B.A. was looking to get that one back. And now I understand he's on a very good run. He got a win over Andre Muniz in there. Looked great two weeks ago against Bruno Silva. And has his sights set on something bigger and better and someone further up the rankings. But now feels like the time to make that Sean Strickland call out again. Because I don't think he's getting a fight with Jared Cannonier. I don't think he's getting a fight necessarily with anyone up in that top five. He said he would like Drickus Duplessis if that doesn't, if Duplessis doesn't beat Rob Whitaker. I understand some of these call outs and, and trying to pick and choose his spot a little bit when you finally have leverage and an opportunity as Allen does right now, it feels like a good time to use it. But this is where he can get that fight with Sean Strickland back. You want to give me that as a main event on a fight night show or the co-main event of an ESPN show, or the third fight on a pay-per-view in the fall, in the early winter, sign me the hell up. Give them both a full camp, let them get all the way trained, all the way prepared, all the way ready for each other, and let's do that one again. Let's see if BA can go out there and beat a guy that's beaten him, get past some of those mental hurdles, get past some of those maybe boogeyman feelings that are lingering. Let's see if Strickland can do it again, because... There's just not anything else to me, given the relatively recent losses to Pahea and Cannoneer, that makes a lot of sense for Sean Strickland at the moment. This feels like the time to run this one back, and I absolutely am here for it. Grant Dawson got the best win of his career in the co-main event, defeating Demirish Mugulov by unanimous decision, getting a 10-8 round for the first round from one judge winning every single round, sweeping the scorecards. In the promo package going into the fight, Grant Dawson said he wanted everybody to come away from that fight saying, man, that kid is good. And while I understand having a little bit of that, I don't think people recognize me 
as much as they should or as good as I am kind of mindset. I think Grant Dawson has just been listening to the wrong people because again, as Aaron Bronstetter said, he, Aaron kind of quote tweeted something he wrote a couple years ago saying Grant Dawson is very good and continuing to get better. I'll give myself a little shout out here. Dawson was included in my top UFC prospects, 2023 piece on OSDB sports at the start of the year, talking about as easy as it is to overlook him because of the depth of talent in the lightweight division it would be a mistake. This is a guy that is now 8-0-1 in the UFC and just dominated a veteran who was ranked ahead of him in the lightweight division. Grant Dawson is really good. If you listen to any of the State of the UFC podcasts, Sean Strickland and Sean Strickland, Sean Sheehan and I have done over on the Severe MMA Patreon in the last probably year. Every time he prompts me for someone in the lightweight division to keep tabs on, to pay attention to that's coming up that could be dangerous, Grant Dawson has been the guy that I've shouted out because I've I've always been intrigued by him and I continue to be intrigued by him. I said during the week that I wasn't sure if he was necessarily going to be a championship contender because he doesn't feel like one of those guys that jumps off the page. And I think we saw that even on Saturday. There's nothing physically dominant about Grant Dawson. He's just really technically sound. He understands who he is as a fighter. He said in his post-fight, it's 10% him, 90% his coaches. That is a wonderfully humble and probably partially true statement. He said he's a good soldier and a good learner. He's not a good fighter. He's a pretty good fighter and we're going to continue to see this kid working his way up the divisional ranks, getting into some tough, dangerous, intriguing fights going forward. I don't know who's going to be next. And he threw out some names and said all of the right things. I think he did a very good job of saying, look, if it's Tony Ferguson, I'll take it because it's a big name. If it's Benil Dariush, if it's somebody like that, I will take them because it's a rank. I'm coming for that title. He called Islam Mahashev the GOAT, called himself his replacement or the guy that's going to be his successor. I don't know that he gets there, but after watching him on Saturday, how can you not be interested to keep watching and find out? He did everything right in that fight, save for getting a finish. And I don't even consider that something that he did wrong. He was working towards it. He was searching for it at different times. I'm sure Harry, in doing the balance breakdown, with Ian over on Severe MMA. We'll talk about he should have flattened him out and unloaded punches more, similar to what he did at the close of the first round, and I will give you that. That is certainly something he could have done and would have been an avenue to maybe get that finish. But that feels like we're picking nits. That feels like we're looking for ways to be critical of this 29-year-old that is unbeaten in the UFC lightweight division and just put it on a guy that had a 20... 19 fight winning streak snapped by a guy everyone's super high on in Armin Saryukin last time out and has a wealth of experience and had only been beaten twice in his career. This was a stellar showing from Grant Dawson. And if you went into Saturday unaware of him or unconvinced of him and just kind of meh about him, that has to stop now. That kid is good. That kid is very, very good. 
Not going to spend much time on the next two fights. Michael Morales continued to look good. I think he is going to be someone that is a factor in the welterweight division going forward, but he is 24 years old and I want him to get the opportunity to continue to progress at sort of a slow, steady, even pace. This is a good win over Max Griffin, but I do not need to see him hustled into fights against guys in the rankings at this at this point. If you want to do that, there are names out there. There are fighters out there that I think you can put him in with that don't necessarily blow him out of the water and maybe stunt his development. But I think a slow play, staying at this point and fighting veterans makes a lot of sense. Arian Lipsky, two straight wins. I don't think it's a mirage that she's continuing to improve. This wasn't as good a performance as the win over J.J. Aldrich, but it's a good win against a tough fighter and Melissa Gatto. I want to see how she continues to improve as she continues to work with Amanda Nunes and her team at the Lioness Studio. The Violent Queen may be becoming a late bloomer in the flyweight division, so we just sit back and continue to watch the progression. I do, however, want to settle in with Benoit Saint-Denis a little bit in his win over Ishmael Bonfim, because I do think it was a somewhat instructive fight, not just about those two individuals, but the way we look at and, and parse out things as a whole sometimes. I said in picking St. Denis on the Punch Drunk Predictions on Friday that I think we overrate Terrence McKinney. And Terrence McKinney comes into this because Ishmael Bonfim beat him in January, flying knee knockout, made essentially made Bonfim the favorite going into this fight and someone to watch in the lightweight division. I think we overrated that victory and underrated what St. Denis had done in his previous two fights because they came against guys in Nicholas Stolza, who was on his way out of the UFC, and Gabriel Miranda, who came in on short notice. And we didn't just look at the skill set, the abilities, the overall talents of the man that earned those victories. I think that should be something we continue as analysts, as people breaking down fights, as people covering these athletes, that we dive into more. I know for myself, I need to do it even more than I do, not just go on my impressions, but get more into further tape study, get more into pulling back the layers of, of who these individuals have competed against and, and what the stylistic matchup is like and how favorable those things are in certain matchups. Because I think that's where a lot of the analysis lies. I think that's where a lot of the figuring out who can be potential contenders and who isn't necessarily built to be a potential contender. I think that's where that stuff is really hidden and really found. And, and not that we don't have it in MMA. Again, there are individuals out there that do a great job studying prospects and presenting this information. Sean Bitter is the best of the bunch at MMA Wizard on Twitter. Go follow him. He's the best of the bunch at this. But I think we as analysts need to spend more time with it. Because to me, this was a coin flip fight between St. Denis and Bonfim. Yes, I sided with St. Denis, so I get the victory. Cashed a couple tickets on the betting show, so that's great. But I think you could see if you looked at these two athletes, if you looked at who they had fought, how they had fought, who they had beaten, what they had done, and we pulled back some of that 
preference that I talked about on Friday that we have for Terrence McKinney, that we have four different athletes. I remember earlier in the year, Jessica Rose Clark lost to Tynera Lisboa in Lisboa's debut. And somebody, and I can't remember who, tweeted something about, I think we all get caught up in how much we like Jess and how much she's a personality that we enjoy and she's personable with fans and she's out in the community and and all like that. And it really hit home for me. And that was a part of the assessment in this fight with Terrence McKinney, with Bonfin's win over Terrence McKinney, is that do we just put too much on it because we want to think highly of Terrence McKinney because he's a good dude and a good kid that's out here interacting with people and wanting to be a part of the community. I think we need to parse that a little more. I think we need to drill down into that stuff a little more because I do think there are opportunities to find angles, to provide better analysis of these fights if we do so. The middleweight main card opener between Narsultan Ruzibov and Bruno Fajaya felt like another sort of opportunity to recognize some of that as Fajaya was somebody that was undefeated and 10-0 with 10 finishes, but largely came against guys that had just decided to stand with him and didn't necessarily present any real problems to him, didn't present any difficulties to him. Ruzi Boav certainly opted to stand with him and this fight didn't go long enough for there to be much else, but he presented challenges and took advantage of those things by catching the kick and firing the perfect counter down the line. This was a instance for me in looking at this fight and forecasting this fight where I needed to lean on and I chose to lean on the experienced guy. It's it's also a fight to me, and I, I thought about this this morning when I was out with my dog because this is this is when I build these thoughts. There are times where experience can be a thing that leads you astray, and there are times where it can be the thing that leads you in the right direction when breaking down these fights. Ruzi Boyov was somebody that is difficult to really figure out in some sense because it's not a bunch of experience against a lot of high-level competition. However, when he's paired off against a guy that is 10-0, that hasn't fought a great deal of, of skilled, experienced competition, then you can lean on the fact that he has 44 fights going into yesterday. And that, to me, was going to be the deciding factor. And it, I think it turned out to be. There's just so much more that he has seen and been through and gone through and is able to deal with. I didn't expect the short notice nature of this fight to be a problem. He trains at a great gym with the crew in Philadelphia. John Marquez was there in the cage with him celebrating that victory. That's a very good squad that has a bunch of good bodies in the middleweight division, specifically Joe Pfeiffer, Andre Petrosky. I know Joe is recovering from surgery, but good bodies in that gym. Jeremiah Wells, a very strong welterweight in there getting ready with him. And so I just think, again, kind of similar to the St. Denis Bonfim fight, there's opportunities here to drill down and be better analysts and be better forecasters of these fights for anybody that is doing predictions or wagering or just wants to be better at understanding who these men and women are that step into the octagon. It takes us doing the work. And I think the more we do the work, the more we're going to see who the truly legitimate prospects 
and emerging talents are and just get a better sense of where the ceiling lies for some of these athletes. Maybe that's not something everybody wants to do. But for me, as somebody that tries to do his best to explain where these athletes fit and think about, talk about every week, where these athletes fit in their division, it's something I have to do. And I want to keep getting better at it. I want all of you listening to hold me accountable for this. I hope to continue doing better. This was a great win for Ruzibov. We saw in the octagon how much it meant for him to be there to get that victory. And I'm now, he is on that list of guys I'm really looking forward to seeing going forward for the next few years as he gets settled and continues to grow on the UFC roster. Takes us to the prelims and... I got a little bit of a bone to pick with the way that Renat Fakradinov's win over Kevin Lee is being packaged and presented. So on the broadcast, on the in-show, when they went back to the studio with Karen Bryant, Alan Joban, and the Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans, it was rolled out as it was a tough night for Kevin Lee and his return to the octagon, and they went through it. I noticed this morning... um, the MMA fighting crew put up their post event recap piece and it talked about Strickland's win. And then the back half of it was Kevin Lee's disappointing return to the octagon or, or something to that effect. And while I get focusing in on the established name and the guy that is going to draw clicks in the headline, if, if we're talking about the MMA fighting crew, this to me is a, is a piece of what keeps fighters like Fakradinov and unheralded fighters under the radar a little bit. Like this is a dude that is now 3-0 and in the UFC and came out here on Saturday and whooped that ass in 55 seconds. Was sticking him with the jab, clobbered him with a right hand, and then put him to sleep with a power guillotine crunched up along the fence. And yet the way we're framing it is, man, it really sucks for Kevin Lee. Sure, maybe, but why not celebrate the dude that won? Why not continue to say his name and put his name out here? And I understand that that both parties, both shows that I mentioned certainly did, but it needs to be first. It needs to be Renat Fakradinov beat Kevin Lee. Renat Fakradinov dominated Kevin Lee. Renat Fakradinov destroyed Kevin Lee. Not Kevin Lee had a rough night at the office. Sure, he had a rough night at the office, but it's because Renat Fakradinov, the betting favorite going into the fight, and the guy that's actually proven in the last couple years that he can win in the UFC welterweight division, went out and put it on him. This wasn't Kevin Lee happened to struggle. This was a guy that is better than Kevin Lee beat the shit out of Kevin Lee. And I know I sound like a hater right now. And I know I sound like a guy that said all week, how much I wish Kevin Lee came out and would just do some things before he talked. But Kevin Lee continues to get this to me unnecessary benefit of the doubt is what it feels like this unnecessary man we hope he can get here and I said this to Harry as we were talking yesterday after this fight as the event was progressing 
I think Kevin Lee is now for me the poster boy for man if he could just figure this one thing out as fighters. A long time ago I heard somebody say and this is years ago in talking to somebody they were like how many years did we did we hold on saying hey if if this person could just improve their takedown defense they would be a real contender and maybe even a world champion and they never got there and they never did and it's never going to happen and it wasn't ever going to happen because up to a certain point you you are who you are and i think kevin lee is who he is Kevin Lee shouldn't be a welterweight. He doesn't have the size to compete in this division. For all the skills he has, his best results have come at lightweight, and that's where he should be. But for whatever reason, he doesn't have the ability to make that weight, and he's stuck here. And I don't think we should continue waiting for Kevin Lee to put it all together because I don't think Kevin Lee is going to put it all together. And I think Saturday showed that. And it also showed that Renat Fakradinov is a goddamn problem. This dude is now 3-0 in the UFC. And yes, the first two wins were decision. And it was dope to hear him call that out as he got on the mic with Michael Bisping. Because like he showed that, yeah, sure, they were decisions. But I'm also capable of this. I can also come and do this. He's a guy I mentioned in my piece on Friday on OSDB Sports that should also get a little fast-tracked here. The fight with Kevin Lee, to me, felt like an opportunity to go out and do exactly what he did. Make a statement against a guy with a name so that you now have a name. And people should know his name going forward to be speaking his name going forward. And the only people that won't be are the people ranked in the top 15 because there ain't a soul in that division that is eager to step in there with this dude because he's a problem. And that's what we should have been leading with coming out of Saturday. Renat Fakradinov is a goddamn problem and he just wiped the floor with Kevin Lee. Joe Anderson Brito needs to step up in competition. That's my takeaway. It was my takeaway before the fight card even happened. The result that he achieved and that he earned against Weston Wilson Felt like a foregone conclusion to me. There was a reason he was the biggest favorite on the card. He delivered on that. I don't necessarily know why he got so mad and and was MF and Dan Ige. And it was great to see Ige jump on Twitter and be like, what did I do? What's this guy calling me names for? I don't know that that's necessarily where I see Brie 2 going next. I think that might be one step too far. I appreciate the call out. I appreciate going in there. I say it all the time. I appreciate going in there, having a name, knowing what you're looking for. I think it might be asking for a little too much. Danny Gay just fought backwards, defeating Nate Landwehr out here in Vancouver, has done enough to sort of, to me, merit an opportunity against someone else in the rankings, someone else that is already maybe ahead of him or right around him in the top 15. But Britu needs a step up in competition. He feels to me like a guy that should be fighting someone that is in that, you know, 16 through 25 range. And he's probably part of that second 15 now as he's picked up a third straight win and he defeated Andre Feely in there. And so maybe you give him 
somebody in that lower third. And I know that Dan Ige is in that lower third. And so people are like, yeah, Dan Ige is the right guy. But I just feel like Dan Ige deserves a better opportunity after doing what he's done already this year. I wouldn't mind Alex Caceres. That was another name that Britu mentioned. That would make sense to me or somebody just behind Alex Caceres, just outside of the rankings. Because as as dominant as Britu has looked over these last three fights, the last two have come against short notice replacements. And as much as I like what Lucas Alexander did in his sophomore appearance, defeating Steven Peterson, I don't think Weston Wilson is a guy that you can beat that then catapults you into a fight with Dan Ige. So somebody just outside of the rankings, somebody experienced, somebody again in that Andre Feely, Bill Algio sort of range of the two guys he fought in his first two fights. Go out and beat them. Go out and do this to one of them. And then maybe you get yourself that Danny Gay fight. Then maybe you get yourself that Alex Caceres fight. Britu is certainly somebody to watch in this division. He is the goods. He is impressive so far. I likened him to Jailton Almeida earlier in the week. I think that is reasonable. I think there is that same potential. We've seen Almeida go on a really nice run here at heavyweight and put himself into the mix at the top of that division. I think it's going to take Britu a little longer because featherweight is deeper and more competitive, but the upside is similar. The upside is there. So keep paying attention. It's time for all of us and the odds makers to start putting some respect on Elvis Brenner's name. This dude went out and took some gnarly elbows that opened up some bad cuts. And I know Dana White tweeted out a not suitable for work. Don't look at this if you're squeamish in any way. Photo of the gash that got opened up on his head by the elbow from Guram Kutataladze. Even if you think he didn't deserve the nod in his debut against Zubara Tukagov, the fact that he took that fight on short notice and was as competitive as he was is a positive indication. And Saturday's win, come from behind win, where he stayed in Kutataladze's face despite getting busted up, despite being covered in a crimson mask, as Gordon Soley would say back in the day, despite having his bleach blonde hair do the Ric Flair thing, where it suddenly turns pink because of all of the crimson that he's spilling. We got to give it up to this dude. Comes from a great camp, shoot the box, Diego Lima camp, alongside Charles Oliveira, Alan Nascimento, a bunch of very good fighters, that are having a great deal of success overall in the UFC. Kutataladze is somebody that for me, listen, all through the week, I said this guy is just outside of the top 15. Look at who he's faced. Look at who he's beaten. Beat Gamrot. Lost to Ishmagulov. Both split decisions. He's right there with them. Brenner went out and stayed in his face and hit him with the shot that put him down to get the victory. We got to start considering him just outside these rankings. And a matchup with somebody in that same space has to be next. Get him on that fight card in Sao Paulo when they go back to Brazil. Give him the opportunity. This is somebody, to me, that the UFC should look at and just give that chance to. Beat a very good fighter who stepped in on short notice and was a dramatic shift from the guy he was supposed to face in Jordan Levitt. Give him an opportunity to see if this is somebody where we've just just caught lightning in a bottle and this kid's ready to make a little run and become a weird unexpected factor 
in one of the best divisions in the UFC going forward. Last thing I want to touch on from Saturday's fight card, Alexander Romanov is an absolute conundrum to me. I just, I don't understand him. He looked very, very good against Blagoy Ivanov. We saw improved conditioning. He talked about in his post-fight interview that he went through some stuff and had a little little down downswing in those last two fights that he had lost to Alexander Volkov and Marcin Tybura and that King Kong was back. I don't know whether to believe it. I don't know what to think of it. I'm back in on wanting to see this dude compete every chance I get after being a little bit out because he didn't look very good in those two losses. I don't want to overrate, but at the same time, I don't want to overrate beating Blagoy Ivanov, who is somebody that is a durable, serviceable heavyweight, but has never risen really above his current station in the division. If Romanov can get back to being the guy that he looked like he was going to be prior to those setbacks, he's certainly interesting. If he sorted out some of the conditioning woes, and I think we saw a little bit of that on Saturday because he did still have gas in the tank in the third round. Now, maybe that's because Ivanov doesn't throw a lot. He wasn't dealing with any of those kicks up the middle that both Tybura and Volkov used so well. But if he sorted some of those things out, he's he's back to being intriguing in a division that always needs intriguing fighters. But I just don't know. He's one of those guys, feels a little bit like a fool me once, shame on me, fool, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of guys that I'm I'm a little leery of diving all the way back in. I'm leery of getting another seat on the bandwagon. So I want to see the next one. And if the next one looks good, he does something impressive in the next one, I'll be back on the King Kong bandwagon for sure. That'll do it for the show. I know last week I sat here in this space and said, look, going to come out with a podcast on Monday, going to come out with a conversation with on Tuesday, and then we're going to roll into the usual stuff. And it didn't happen. Monday and Tuesday didn't happen. I got busy. A bunch of stuff came up. I went golfing on Monday to spend some time with my brother-in-law and one of our good friends. That was great. And the podcast didn't happen. I am going to do my very best as I want to do each and every time to deliver a podcast tomorrow. I will hopefully be back. Hopefully, fingers crossed, everything goes well in setting up a conversation with because I'm very, very excited about the guests that I have lined up. I think it will be a tremendous, tremendous conversation. And then we will get into, oh man, will we ever get into UFC 290 coming up on July 8th the best fight card of the year, International Fight Week. Just thinking about it, writing about it a little bit earlier today, I am so pumped up for this fight card. So if I don't manage to get you Monday and Tuesday, I promise you that the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday content coming out of Keyboard Kimura is going to be lights out. The stuff on UFC.com is going to be lights out. I've written two-thirds of it. Got a couple more things to submit sitting down with Alexander Volkov and Yair Rodriguez on Tuesday for stories that are coming up there. Already spoke to Pantoja. Coach conversations with Eric Nixick and Tyson Chartier for the two title fights. Some OSDB stuff later in the week. It is International Fight Week, ladies and gentlemen. I am excited. I hope you are excited. I hope you had a lovely weekend. I hope you enjoyed the fights on Saturday. 
I hope you're looking forward to this weekend. I hope your work week goes well. I hope I can provide some entertainment and some solace and some distraction if need be during your commute, during your evening time, whenever you listen to me. I thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm happy to have you. Have a beautiful week. We will talk to you again, hopefully tomorrow, hopefully Tuesday, certainly Wednesday with one question. Until then, be good to yourselves, be good to one another, know that you're loved, and we'll talk to you soon.